0: We're talking booze and black holes, and the future of each in space. You're listening to Are We There Yet?, the radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Alcohol has long been a staple of our cultures and civilizations, but is there a place for it in the final frontier? Author Chris Carberry explores the history and future of booze in space in his new book, Alcohol in Space, We'll talk about how booze made its mark on the space program, and just what types of drinks we might be toasting while orbiting Earth or exploring Mars. Then, there's a black hole at the center of our galaxy. Should we be worried about falling in? This week on our segment, I'd Like to Know, we'll chat with planetary scientists about the possibility of being gobbled up by this black hole. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? But first, let's take a look at the space stories making headlines. Five,
1: four,
2: three... 2, one, zero. Ignition, liftoff, no starlink Falcon,
0: Space Force, launch. SpaceX has launched another 60 Starlink satellites into orbit this week, kicking off its first launch of 2020 and bringing it one step closer to building a global constellation of internet satellites. SpaceX wants thousands of these satellites in orbit to beam down internet access anywhere in the world, But early fleets of these satellites have drawn criticism from astronomers. We discussed the issue on this show a few weeks ago. Streaks from the satellites are showing up in astronomical imaging, obscuring what ground-based satellites can see. The company said it provides tracking data so astronomers can better prepare for flyovers. And on this launch, the company is also testing an experimental darkening treatment to mitigate any interference with ground-based telescopes. The launch marks the start of a pretty busy month for SpaceX. It is planning a critical test flight of the Crew Dragon abort system later this month. Stay up to date on the latest space news. Visit our website, wmfe.org slash space, or give me a follow on Twitter for the latest. I'm at SpaceBrendan. Alcohol in Space. It's an interesting topic with a surprisingly storied history and a bright future. Chris Carberry is the CEO and co-founder of the nonprofit Explore Mars and author of a new book, Alcohol in Space, Past, Present, and Future. He joins us to discuss the topic of booze in space, and we begin the conversation talking about the history of drinking in human space exploration.
2: Well, interestingly, alcohol has played a role in space exploration almost from the beginning, not necessarily people drinking it. But from the earliest missions, they would often said even American astronauts in the early space missions often would be sent up as a gag. Mm -hmm. Uh, Perhaps one of the best known ones was an Apollo 8. Uh, Three bottles of brandy were sent up during their uh, two. It was a joke. They weren't really intended to drink them, but they packed them in their holiday meals. As you recall, it was pretty much 51 days, 51 days, 51 years ago, almost exactly now. and so. Um, and actually after that, many years later, Jim Lovell was able to sell his bottle of brandy that had circled the moon for about $17,900. But a few months later, some alcohol actually was consumed uh, shortly after um, Apollo 11 uh, landed on a lunar surface. Buzz Aldrin had arranged to do a communion prayer, including drinking wine. He arranged with uh, Webster Presbyterian Church in Houston to bring up a goblet and some communion wine. So after the radio was off, they did not NASA did not want him to do this publicly. <laughs> he poured the wine into the goblet where it slowly went down the uh, goblet in the one-sixth gravity and he you know said a few prayers and consumed the wine on the surface of the moon. Interestingly, I think this is still probably, Buzz is probably the only person in human history to have had consumed an alcoholic beverage on another planetary body. It may have happened, but I, don't, I haven't heard of any other stories, <laughs> at least on the moon. Nobody's fessing up to it, huh? It's <laughs> <You> a <can imagine, laughs> topic with NASA.
0: Officially,
2: mm-hmm. uh, alcohol is prohibited up in space, and that's the case with all officially with all space agencies. But as you probably read in the book, it has happened quite a bit. Not to excess, it always actually haven't, it didn't run into any occurrences, that at least anybody told me, that anybody became inebriated. But uh, particularly on the Mir space station, but also on ISS, alcohols come up, particularly it's not vodka, it's not other beverages, it's cognac. Cognac mm-hmm. became the drink of choice in space. And it's brought out for special occasions. If there's a new crew, they come together and have a little shot as they, you know, squirt it out into the air. It floats around like you see images of water, little orbs, but this is little orbs of cognac. Um, They sip it in and basically it's it's like camaraderie. It's it's Mm -hmm. served actually an interesting diplomatic role and only Mm -hmm. done in very, very small quantities. So there's an interesting history that's been continues to go on. And but it's also as uh, so you read in the book, there are also dozens of companies and organizations that are actively looking at whether we can manufacture alcohol in space. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's another, and that's kind of what inspired the book more than the interesting stories of people consuming it in space already. This interesting uh, trend in the alcohol industry to try to utilize space for its product, for or either see if they can utilize it if they can utilize the space environment to better their product here on earth or if they can figure out a way to manufacture alcohol in space and be ahead of the market so when we do have space tourism or if we start settling mars or something like that that they can be uh, they can provide their product Mm -hmm. (laughs) to the settlers to the tourists whomever
0: Now, now chris the the kind of current consumption of alcohol in space is is ceremonial as we've been discussing Um, And and as we start to think about um, spending longer and longer time in space or or even colonizing places like Mars, you know, alcohol is ingrained in our society, in in these ceremonial things and diplomatic things. Um, Is that kind of shaping the way people are thinking about the future uses of alcohol? I think so. I mean, I think I don't think anybody's going into
2: it thinking, oh, we're going to and I uh, advance the negative aspects of alcohol, it's going to happen. Yeah, well, As you mentioned, it's been part of civilization from the beginning, both right. the negative and the negative. And, I mean, we've, been, we've found evidence of uh, intentional fermentation uh, as far back as 10,000 years, and probably was earlier. This is just what we found evidence for, and it has played a critical role throughout the development of human civilization. As you Mm -hmm. mentioned, in ceremony and religion and diplomacy, just in social, social interactions, and has even played a large role in the development of technologies, specifically like agriculture, whereas there are some theories that uh, the desire for a drink actually may have advanced um, agricultural science more than the need for food (laughs) so um, however and so that's in the beginning of the book I deal with that provide context to show this has been such an integral part of human culture both of the good and the bad I don't want to you know uh, uh, gloss over the dark sides of alcohol it exists of course but it's not likely to stop when we start sending people in space and rather than try to ignore the issue and pretend it doesn't exist which we do right now I think it's it's fair game to look at it and try to figure out what the benefits and the risks are. For instance, even though we know people have consumed alcohol in space, we don't know how human bodies metabolize alcohol in space. All we have are anecdotal tales, and so Mm -hmm. it's not scientific because nobody wants to officially acknowledge it, and I get that, but now we're right on the verge of, uh, it seems like, uh, much a larger number of people going into space privately, mm-hmm. and it's certainly going to involve people having alcohol. And many of the people organizing these trips, these space hotels or whatever else, have been thinking about bars or having you know toasts in space mm-hmm. of uh, champagne or something else. So it's it's in that, I believe it's inevitable, and so because of its inevitability, uh, it's it's worthwhile. Thinking about and then thinking about, you know, what the potential pros and cons of this are.
0: I would have to imagine if alcohol makes you feel like you're spinning down here on Earth, uh, it would definitely be exacerbated if you're orbiting at 170-some thousand miles an hour around the planet, too, right? One would think. Although,
2: you know, (laughs) as I said, I haven't heard of too many people that, you know, the small amounts they drink – really it hasn't been enough, at least from what I heard, to mm-hmm. get inebriated. So I did not hear about any effects like that. But once again, who knows with such small who amounts, but when people actually consume more, yeah, that may be the case. They may have something, a completely unexpected reaction.
0: Talk to me, Chris, a little bit about these companies that are trying to, um, you know, work on either the ingredients that go into making alcoholic beverages or, or the actual process of of, you know, manufacturing alcohol in space or, let's say, on a moon colony or a Mars colony? What kind of work is being done now, uh, you know, in that regard?
2: Remarkably large number of uh, companies and groups working on it right now. At my, my last count, there are currently three alcohol-related uh, experiments up on the International Space Station. There may be more that I just haven't heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, Budweiser sent up its fourth barley experiment, Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just germination of barley. And, um, you know, they. this was after a couple of years ago at the South by Southwest Festival in Austin. They had announced they wanted to be the first beer manufacturer on Mars. At the time, of course, everybody thought this is probably just a PR stunt. But then they started following up with actual real space missions. So it's mm-hmm. really interesting. But a month ago, 12 bottles of Bordeaux were sent up to ISS for an aging experiment um, for wine. Mm-hmm. And so there have been other ones, like a, two other aging experiments for alcohol of Ghana. Um, the first one was the Ardbeg um, Scotch went up in 2011, came back in 2015. um, And the result was the sample that went into space changed dramatically. It was much different than the ground sample. However, they weren't sure if this was a result of the aging or the microgravity microgravity environment or just the poor handling and all the shaking. And so they're thinking (laughs) of other ways of, you know, trying to think of a new experiment uh, to compensate for the extreme handling of going into space. Mm -hmm. But there's actually a more, uh, another one up there that's currently up there, Suntory, the Japanese whiskey maker, uh, sent up some experiments. One came down, but one's still up there, another aging experiment. But they have not actually given, provided any information on the results of that experiment, the the Hmm. experiment that came down. I mean, of course, I asked, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but they were very closed-lipped about it. But even, st- even beyond sending things into space, there are companies like, um, for instance, Maison Mum, champagne producer. Um, you wouldn't think the champagne producers would be thinking about space, but they are. And so they've developed a bottle, uh, selected the proper champagne, and a glass to try to uh, consume in microgravity and this trying to solve several problems. Because um, first off, as you know, in microgravity, it's hard to pour into a glass and have it stay in your glass. So they, <laughs> they have a glass so you can drink your, your bubbly more authentically. They, they said it enhances will enhance the conviviality of <laughs> drinking their champagne in space. But they have a special bottle to actually dispense it into the glass but another issue has been, and this is where another company, um, uh, Vostok Beer in Australia, we're also looking at the issue, there's a large issue regarding carbonated beverages in space. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, on, in 1G, on the surface of Earth, as you know, the gas goes up, it disperses into the atmosphere, doesn't do that in space, it goes to the center and actually starts to expand and does that in your stomach. And so when astronauts have uh, consumed uh, carbonated beverages, they've reported stomach cramps and wet burps. So once again, not a pleasant experience. and so Not, what not you at want, all. Not what you want to associate <laughs> with your beverage. Yeah, no. So that's what these companies are working on, trying to figure out if they can uh, not only dispense their beverage, but also create a beverage that's a particularly carbonated one that can be consumed pleasurably in space. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, these companies are investing in technologies that go well beyond uh, utilization or con- consumption of alcohol because they are looking at things very specific that are useful well beyond that. You know, for consuming beverages of any kind, or companies like Budweiser, yeah, they're looking at whether they can de- uh, grow. Um, barley in space and germinate or do, you know, actually produce beer in space, but they're also directly investing in space agriculture, which is a critical technology Mm -hmm. capability if we want to create sustainability in space. So I think this is a wonderful thing, even if you're not a big fan of alcohol, Mm -hmm. companies like this that are spending money and trying to figure out these problems that go well beyond their product.
0: Yeah, I mean, like with with the Budweiser experiment, barley can be, you know, used for food, right? And if if they can figure out a way to grow barley in microgravity, um, it's more than just making beer, right? It goes into bread, it goes into sustenance, that kind of thing, right? Absolutely. Now, Chris, I was was thinking about the book the other day um, because I, myself, am a home brewer, and I was brewing a batch of beer in my backyard, um, and... I realized just how much stuff goes into it. So I'm making a small batch of beer. I'm using almost eight gallons of water, uh, nearly twelve pounds of grain, uh, just to get four gallons of beer that will last me just a few weeks. How 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 would a, a Martian pull off something like this? And and is there a practical application? for alcohol when you're using so much of what you have around you? Well, it's not very efficient. I agree with you there. And there probably are, there are practical
2: applications for the creation of alcohol beyond drinking it, of course, but, but this, this is actually, and I mentioned this in the book, actually, there's a quote, Andy Weir wrote the forward for the book, but I also Mm -hmm. interviewed him during the book or the book itself. And he mentioned, you know, when we're talking about whether Mark Watney had used his potatoes to create vodka, you know, you said this would be the most inefficient use of, you know, the food <laughs> to create. He, he does believe that it will happen, but mm. it's generally, you know, if we're going to produce any at least sizable amounts of alcohol, we're going to need to figure out uh, efficiently how to grow crops like we do here on Earth. Maybe not quite as much as here, but nonetheless, we have to figure out how to um how to produce enough to maintain the, the, the needs for the crew or the settlers, whomever, so there's enough surplus where you can justify making alcohol. Now, you know that people are going to take some part of their supplies anyway and try to make some, but that's going to be a small amount. <laughs> and that happens. People do that in you know, remote areas when they're you know getting bored or they're in isolation. I know they tried making alcohol on in, when, in the original Biosphere 2 crew. I believe they made uh, banana wine mm-hmm. in Biosphere 2. So, but once again, a small quantity for a one-time little celebration. I don't think it t- tasted particularly good, but at the time it didn't really matter.
0: <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris Carberry, um, you know, if, if you and I are ever get the chance to, you know, be journalists in space, um, what's, what's your drink of choice? What are we, what are we toasting?
2: Oh well, i depends on my mood. Would be one of two drinks. Uh, I would either be um, a big uh, a big red wine, okay, or scotch. And actually, this is kind of funny. One of the origins of the book was because uh, my favorite scotch brand, uh, had sent. product into space, and I didn't know that before they became my favorite Scotch, Ardbeg. I'm big into smoky Mm whiskeys, so Ardbeg had become my favorite whiskey, and then I happened to look at their facebook page one night and it was covered with space pictures and i started investigating and found out they'd done a space mission which was kind of coincidental (laughs) and so it would be one or the other and depending on my mood
0: well chris i look forward to sharing a pint or a a nice glass of scotch with you um either here on earth or up there in space one day uh we've been speaking with chris carberry he's the author of alcohol in space uh the book is available now chris thanks for speaking with us
2: oh thanks for having me on
0: Still to come, are we at risk of being swallowed by the black hole in the center of our galaxy? Are We There Yet? is back in a minute, I hope. You're listening to Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. There is a black hole at the center of our galaxy. Is it a threat to us here on Earth? Could we be gobbled up by it anytime soon? To help answer that question this week for our segment, I'd Like to Know, we're joined by University of Central Florida planetary scientists and hosts of the podcast Walk About the Galaxy, Addie Dove, Josh Caldwell, and Jim Cooney. We begin the conversation with a question for Jim. Should I be worried about this black hole? Not
3: the one at the center of our galaxy. Maybe the one at the center of some other galaxy. Ooh. Oh, okay. I think that's more likely. So, Some uh, rogue
1: galaxy that comes streaming by? Yeah.
3: Look. Black holes seem like these very scary things, right? Because yes, if you are. wander too close, then you can't escape their gravity. And that's, of course, why they're called black holes. Even light can't escape their gravity. The thing is, if you're far enough away, they're just like anything else of the same mass. So if you took the sun, for example, and replaced it with a black hole of exactly the same mass. Burr. Yeah, bad news for us. We're all going to die. But because of the lack of light, it's just going to be like nighttime permanently. But our orbit won't change. Our orbit will be exactly the same. We're not going to get sucked into that black hole or anything like that. It's only if you were within a few kilometers of that black hole would things be weird and different from the normal Newtonian physics that we all know and love. Okay, so the black
0: hole in the center of our galaxy, we're okay.
3: We're okay. Now, that that is a beast of a black hole, of course. That's a black hole that has millions of times more mass than our sun. If you, you know, obviously, if you get too close to that bad boy, you're in trouble. But we're lazily orbiting the center of our galaxy, right? (laughs) we are pretty lazy about it. Yeah. The black hole isn't hoovering up. No, no, no. We're, yeah, we have a nice orbit, you know, we're... Tens of thousands of light years away from the center of the the galaxy and slowly orbiting. It takes about a quarter of a billion years to orbit one time around our galaxy. And we're just – we're not getting any closer to the center. If you wait long enough, weird things are going to happen. Okay. Long enough like trillions of years and things like this. Then, you know, because galaxies interact with other galaxies. So, for example, we're – kind of on a collision course with the next <gasps> biggest galaxy that's near us, which is? Andromeda. Andromeda. Yeah, the great galaxy in Andromeda. So we're we're going to collide with Andromeda sometime in the next billions of years. And
1: astronomers on other, in other galaxies are going to be like, ooh, look at those colliding galaxies. Yes, it's going
3: to be awesome. Uh, it's not something <laughs> yes. to worry about when galaxies collide. It's not really like the individual stars collide. But if you're too close to the, you know, if we're the center of Andromeda, because it also has a supermassive black hole at the center of that bad boy, And so when galaxies collide, some stars are going to get eaten up by the black holes in the centers of those things. And if you waited long enough, if you start adding more zeros to the 10 to the whatever power of years that go by, eventually everything will end up in a black hole. But it's going to take, you know, 10 to the. we're talking heat death of the universe. Yeah, we're talking really long timescales, like a Google years type of timescales. Then everything is going to be a black hole. So, yes, you wait long enough, Brendan, you're in trouble. But for now,
0: we're good. Well, let's, what happens when stars get gobbled up by black holes?
3: Ooh, bad news for them.
4: <laughs> well, once they pass the event horizon, we sort of lose any ability to know anything about them anymore. Uh, so that mass becomes part of the mass of the black hole. No information gets out from that and it's uh but here's here it's it's ample fertile ground for science fiction storytelling. It is. It is.
3: <laughs> yeah, but the thing that'll really make your head hurt is we'll never actually see any of them go into the black hole because of the weird time stretching uh, around a black hole. If you watched from a safe distance away, you watched the star fall into the black hole, from your perspective it will never get in there because its time slows down and slows down and slows down and the event horizon of a black hole is the point in space where Time slows all the way down. So it would be like they're falling in and getting slower and slower and slower. And you're like, why don't you just fall in? I want to see what happens when you go into the black hole. Never will happen. So you won't see it fall in, but
4: uh, it does fall in, and the mass of the black hole changes, right?
3: In a sense. And yeah. so
4: you would see the motion of other things around the black hole change as a result of that change in mass. Right. So but indirectly, you would, right. in you in would know sense, that yeah. that thing had gone in there.
3: No, no. You would you would think it had kind of collected right around the outside of the black hole, and that mass is, you know, is the same as if it was in the black hole, and we'll. Yeah, but anyway. I, would, I would get
4: my paper and pencil out, and I would say, yeah, but I know it's really in there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Not from our perspective. That's the fun thing. There's...
1: Do you make this argument when you're like shooting hoops, also, Josh? You're like, I, it's,
4: it's basically
0: it's in, in there. there. Basically I, in there. Two I, points. I, yeah. I can prove okay. to you that that <laughs> basketball actually did go in the basket. <laughs> this brings up another question that I have is how do you observe these things? How do do we see black holes?
3: Yeah, black holes are really – I mean, obviously we don't see light directly from the black hole. But we do see things. So, for example, the the black hole in the center of our galaxy, Sagittarius A star is what we call that thing. Things do fall into that, essentially fall into that all the time. Uh, And when they do, they – You know, they end up in this accretion disk around it, so they they spiral into it, and as they're spiraling into it, they're moving faster and faster and faster, and so they get hotter and hotter and hotter. And so we do see the radiation from things as they're falling in, not from the black hole itself, but we can see the effect that the black hole is having on its surroundings. So it's tearing things apart, heating them up, and we see that light. And so we see these, like, X-ray flares and stuff coming from the center of the galaxy that are evidence that stuff is spiraling into the black hole. So we know things are dying even though we don't actually see them fall in.
4: Very strong gravitational field leads to leads to very strong accelerations, which leads to very, very large energetic outbursts of radiation. And when that's con- concentrated in very small space, there's only one alternative, which is that it's a black hole producing it. And then, of course, we have seen it.
1: One,
3: yeah, so far. Yeah, Maybe
1: two, but they haven't published the data for the second one yet. <laughs>
3: right. This <laughs> is the Event Horizon Telescope. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, we actually have seen the, this kind of directly this accretion disk of stuff around the black hole and the shadow of the actual black hole itself for that one in the center of... uh, uh, It's a
4: a supermassive, nearby supermassive black hole. It's much I think, larger than the one in our own galaxy, right. mm-hmm. but further away. And the other one that
3: Addie was referring to is, in the fact... The one
1: in the center of our galaxy. Yes. They yes. maybe have They're, imaged, or they were talking uh, about imaging
3: trying, at least. Yes. To mm-hmm. do it. it's technically more difficult, but that should be out in the next year or so, I think an image of that.
0: Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's fascinating. That's going to be awesome. That be really cool to see yep. that. Now, so the the black hole in the center of the galaxy, you assure me, is not going <laughs> to kill us. You're It'll okay, Brian. You're okay. Uh, Jim, what other black holes do we have to worry about, if any?
3: Well, there are, there are certainly black holes a lot closer to us than the one at the center of the galaxy. That's the one that scares everybody. <clears throat> excuse me, because it's called a supermassive black hole. Right, that's a really terrifying. It's name. a terrifying thing. <laughs> uh, but there are plenty of nearby supermassive black <laughs> holes. What really terrifies me. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, there are plenty of other galaxies, or plenty of other black holes, of course, much nearby us that are. You know, the husks of dead large stars. Uh-huh. Um, I actually couldn't tell you what the closest one to us is off the top well, of my head. Well, we probably
4: don't know because they're hard to see. If Right, the just closest couldn't... one that we've
3: discovered, oh, I, I, I don't there know. Could but there could be one are... right
1: outside the solar system. <laughs> Thanks, Kitty. You're welcome. <laughs> there,
3: there are some suggestions, not terribly serious, but some suggestions that, like, the Planet 9 thing, that, we, that, like, we we see some slightly weird orbital things and stuff that's very, very outer part of the solar system. could be. A very a low mass hole black there? hole that's out there. Oh, I don't think that's terribly that's likely, kind of but uh, hey, yeah. possibility. What's that, the lowest gonna... mass
1: that you could that we can get?
3: Black holes have no lower limit on their mass. They could they can be as small as they want. Although. We can't imagine easy ways to make black holes that are smaller than about three times the mass of the sun. You can't. I can't. <laughs> Maybe you can. <laughs> well, You've got a Nobel Prize coming your
0: way. Yes. I'm going to cut this short before you terrify me even further. <laughs> We've been speaking with Jim Cooney, Josh Caldwell, and Addie Dove. They're planetary scientists at the University of Central Florida and host the podcast Walk About the Galaxy. Thank you all. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Find their podcast Walk About the Galaxy wherever you get this show or visit walkaboutthegalaxy.com. If you've got a question for our segment I'd like to know, send it in. Shoot me an email at arewetheryet at wmfe.org or find us on social media. Drop your questions there. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Are We There Yet podcast. Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE and WMFV. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Our director of content is Steve Yasko. You can find more space news online at wmfe.org slash space. And never miss a show and get bonus content and interviews delivered straight to your phone or smart speaker. Just subscribe to Are We There podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And hey, while you're there, give us a rating. It helps more people discover the show. Support for Are We There comes from our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening.